you know, we live, uh, live stream all of our services uh, now, so why don't we welcome all of our friends tonight that are watching online. Can we go ahead and do that and welcome them to our Wednesday night service? You know, when I read the Bible, and I've mentioned this before to you before, there's more than one way to read the Bible. How many of you would agree with that? There are all kinds of different ways to read the Bible. Some of you uh, have read the Bible through in a year. Some of you just say, well, I'm going to read it in a slightly different way. One of the things when I read the Bible, if I really, really want to understand a passage, it is helpful to me to do a couple of things, one of which is to just try to stand inside of the story to just imagine myself in the midst of everything that is going on, to try to see the sights, to hear the words, to imagine what it must have been like to have been in that setting when whatever events were transpiring. So that really helps me to, to sort of more understand the text. The other thing is, and you may not always find this to be that exciting, but the more you can understand about the background of a text, if you can understand what we might would call the context or the setting of a passage, what was it about that? And a lot of times when we have that, and then we come to some verses or a passage of verses, uh, we can look at it and say, well, you know what? I, I think I understand these verses that you may have actually read many times before. You may say, well, I think I understand this better because I understand the setting or understand the text. And so what I want to do tonight in the time that we have, I'd like to deal with, and it's not the most exciting part of what I pray this message will be, but I want to deal with the text first, because if you and I understand that, and we're going to be going into Romans, by the way, chapter 15, and if we understand the setting, I think it makes it easier for the next transition that we'll have in this message, and we'll sort of take it out of the text and talk about, all right, now how does this apply to my life? How can I embrace it? How can I learn from it? How can I become cooperative with what God wants me to do in regards or in reaction to the text? So, I want to give you just a little bit of background. If you hang in here with me on that portion, then we're going to get to the application really, really quick. But I think it does help us to understand, you know, what was the setting of Romans when Paul, this great apostle, uh, wrote to the believers who were living in, obviously, Rome. Now, when Paul writes, I think it's good for us to understand this, when Paul writes Romans, and he writes it, by the way, from Corinth, and how many of you know how many letters Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth? He wrote two letters, First and Second Corinthians, we know that, but he, he writes to the Roman believers while he's in Corinth, and this happens, scholars tell us that this occurs somewhere around 57 A.D., and by this time, I think this is also helpful to understand, that by this time, Paul has been preaching and teaching the message of Jesus for about 25 years. He's been busy planting thriving churches throughout the north, uh, northern Mediterranean uh, part of the Roman Empire. So this is sort of what, you know, what he is writing from, but what you may not know, and I think it helps us to understand, again, what we're about to look at and apply, is that seven years after Paul writes this letter, this letter being the letter to the believers in Rome, Romans. After he writes this letter, there is a massive fire, a lot of you know this, that is devastating to a good portion of Rome. And the emperor at that time, a guy by the name of Nero, you've heard that name, he blames the Christians. Now, later it's discovered, and still there's a lot who speculate to this very day, a lot of historians, not all of them being Christi uh, Christian historians, 
would say that the person, listen to this now, that the person who actually started the fire that devastated much of Rome was actually Nero himself. But this became a good opportunity for Nero if, in fact, he was the one who started uh, the fire uh, that, that was so destructive that it provided a great opportunity for him to blame the Christians. And as a result of that, he uses, uh, uses Christians as scapegoats. And uh, persecution becomes so harsh following that, so relentless following that in Rome, that actually Paul, who is writing this letter from Corinth, actually as a result of these transpiring events, Paul is actually beheaded. He actually loses his life. He's beheaded. He's persecuted. Now, so you've got to take that into context. You've got to take that into your understanding. So Paul is writing this letter. You know, persecution is percolating already. It's going to intensify. Seven years thereafter, it's going to become even more intense. Paul is feeling the weight of this. And so it's out of that setting and mindset that, that he writes these letters. Now, think about, if you would, let's just take ourselves on this Wednesday night here in the great city of Lakeland, Florida, and let's just sort of pick ourselves up and insert ourselves into this setting, into this church, the church in Rome. Now, you would think that facing such intense persecution in and of itself would be bad enough. Sometimes we think, how many of you know this? Sometimes we think we have it bad. And then we, have you ever thought you heard it, had it bad, and then you hear a story that you realize that based, you know, on their story, you really don't have it that bad after all. And so as a church, especially in America, where we're never going to be persecuted, I pray before Jesus comes, we're not going to be really persecuted in the way that they were in the New Testament times, the way like these believers in Rome were. So we take a lot for granted. But if you were to say, well, all right, it's not that way, and you were to say, now I'm a part of this church in Rome, and you would think it would be difficult enough for you to be, you know, surrounded by all this persecution simply because, here's the reason, because you were a follower of Jesus, because you identified yourself with Christianity, because you went forward and you were publicly baptized and you declared your allegiance to Christ and that you were going to be a devoted follower of Jesus. And as a result of that, that, in, that alone would be, you know, that would be pretty difficult to have to deal with. However, there is something else, and some of you may have studied this, that is actually occurring around this same time. And again, this is part of background. But in A.D. 49, there is a Roman emperor by the name of Claudius. Remember that name, Claudius. And Claudius has become increasingly frustrated with the bickering that existed among the Jews. And the bickering that was occurring around this time, again, around A.D. 49, A.D. 50, the bickering was uh, all around this idea of, is Jesus really the Son of God? It, does He really have deity? You know, they could embrace His humanity, but was Jesus really the Son of God? And so the Jews that were a part of this church in Rome, how many of you are with me? Just wave at me like this. I want you to hang in here with me because this is going to help you to understand what's going on when we read a couple of verses here. So as a result of that, there's all this bickering among the Jews. Is Jesus really the Son of God? Is He really a deity? Finally, this, this emperor, Claudius, has had enough. He is frustrated up to here with all of the bickering. So what does he do? He issues an edict that all Jews must leave Rome. 
all right? So all this persecution, you with me on this? All the persecution is going on. It's going to intensify over time. Now Claudius is fed up with the Jews because of their bickering centered around, you know, the person of Jesus. And so he just says to the Jews, get out of Rome. Get out. Leave Leave this city, you're leaving, and virtually overnight, this is what I want you to fundamentally understand, that virtually overnight, what happens to the church in Rome is that this church becomes 100% Gentile, like overnight. Claudius said, you guys are, are gone. He orders them to leave Rome, and overnight, this church becomes Gentile. Now, why does that matter? By the time we come to what you're about to see in Romans 15, three verses we're going to look at here tonight, by the time we come to this place, Paul writing to these Roman believers, the Jews have been allowed to return back to Rome. So they've now gained entrance back into the city and back to this, what is, you know, a relatively vibrant church and will become increasingly so. So they return to Rome, but they come back to a church, the Jews do now, to a church that is dominated by Gentiles. And so think for a moment about all of the social tension. Immediately, overnight, just as they were ordered out of the city overnight, all of a sudden, in Rome, this church that Paul is writing to, and these believers who were a part of this vibrant church was writing to, there are 100% Gentile, and then after a span of time, now all of a sudden, there's this influx of all of the Jews into this church family. And it provided, listen, it provided a great opportunity for there to be a lot of tension going on within the framework of that church. Now, having stated that, um, I want you to look with me at a couple of verses here. We're going to look at three primarily, maybe a little bit more if we have time. We'll see how we're doing. But this is Romans 15. Now, based on everything that I just sort of put in capsule form for you, a lot more that could be discussed here, but, but I want you to look at these two verses out of Romans 15. Here we go. The guys are going to put them up on the screen. All right, here we go. May the God, this is Paul writing to these believers, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement, and he is actually, by the way, we're not going to go back uh, to it, but he is actually already, Paul has commended them because these believers have already demonstrated great endurance and he says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of what? What does it say? A spirit of what? A unity. Now, had you not understood, like, as we often do, as I often do, when I sit down and read the Bible, and I don't understand maybe the context of it, I, I may read that, but it, it is not as meaningful to me unless I understand, for example, what we understand together now, that all of a sudden this Gentile church that had found their own independence all of a sudden there's this influx, and now there's the potential of some really not so good things happening. So may God give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that, read the rest of it with me, everybody, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to give you a couple of things. You can jot them down, a couple of things to think about tonight out of this, and that is always remember this. This is so important for every church to always remember, and there's all kind of verses that we could go to that parallel with this that I could give you that would help to support this claim, but uh, trust me, they're there, and I'll just give them, and you can check this out later, but always remember this, that unity is God's gift to the church. Unity is a gift from God to the church, but it becomes our responsibility to protect it, all right? You with me on that? 
unity, when God blesses a church with unity, which He wants all of His churches, how many of you would agree, to have unity, that when unity is, is prolific in the life of a church, it is because God gives it. It's a gift, as many things that God gives to us is a gift. It is a gift to the church, but then it becomes a part of our responsibility to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to protect the unity. And there was a whole lot that was at stake for this church in Rome. Because what we must understand, if somehow, listen to this now, if you will, if somehow these Jews and Gentiles could remain unified, remember, this thing could be explosive, but if they could somehow remain unified, even with the potential of there being this great social tension, if they could, among this community of faith, continue to love each other in spite of all of their differences, then this would become, this church would become a compelling witness for Jesus in the setting of the Roman Empire. And that was exactly God's plan. And he knew it was not going to be easy. He knew what was happening in this church, but he also recognized the potential influence of this church, and could they work through what was their differences? Could they love each other in spite of these differences? Then what a tremendous opportunity it would be for this church to influence the entirety of the Roman Empire. So Paul's prayer, if you look at what Paul's heart was and his motivation and his prayer was for these Christ followers, it was that they would live in harmony. So they've got persecution going on from without, and then they've got this social tension that, that could develop at any moment within, and Paul is saying, in the midst of all of this, here's what I want. I want you to remain unified. I want you to have harmony. This is why we see this expression used quite often throughout the Bible that you would be one. Now, this is not a part of my, my, my notes, so if I step out here and start dealing with this, that gets a little dangerous because I'm not sure where I may end up. I'm just kidding. So, uh, when you look at the Trinitarian Godhead, when you look at God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and I'm not, listen, to your relief and mine, I'm not going to try to explain to you the Trinity because that would be impossible for me to do because I do not fully understand the Trinity, but I do believe that there's three distinct, you know, persons in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and among the Trinity, there is to be this incredible unity. Do you remember what, what Jesus one time said, and I don't remember because I didn't bring it with me, but uh, you can look this up later. When Jesus said He prayed for His followers, like Paul is praying for these followers, and Jesus prayed for His followers, and He's talking to His Father, and He said, I pray for them that they would be one, you remember this, even as we are what? Even as we are at one. Even, even this oneness, this unity, this harmony that is, um, you know, exemplified within, within the Trinity, that, that my people would be one, even as we are one. I, I love the little story that happened in the church many years ago. The pastor had the kids in the service on this particular Sunday, and, and during the portion of the children's sermon, the pastor was speaking to the children about the need for unity within the church. The pastor, as he's talking, looked out at all of the kids, and he emphasized, in fact, this is exactly what he said. He looked at all of these little kids, and he said, God wants us to be one. God wants us to be one. One of the smallest kids in church that morning was a four-year-old who immediately protested and said, I've already been one. I want to be five. <laughs> already been, been there, done that. 
I want to be, I want to be five. So what we need to understand right up front is that unity, let's all catch this, unity is a powerful thing when it flows in and through the community life of a church. God gives it. God gives unity to a church. And how many of you, I know I am, are, we are so grateful that Victory Church is a unified church, a church that is in harmony, a church that is one, and we should never take that for granted. How many of you think that's an incredible thing I do? Why don't we give God a hand on that? And that's the way that God wants it to be exemplified. So the functionality of our church is that we're doing what God wants us to do, to be unified, to be in harmony, to be one. But here's another truth out of this chapter, out of chapter 15, that I want you to sort of reach out and grasp, and that is that Jesus' acceptance of us should influence our acceptance of others. Let me say that again. Jesus' acceptance of us should influence the way we respond to other people. We should be just as quick to accept other people as Jesus accepted us. Now, how do we know this? This is a continuation. It's the third verse among these three verses that we're looking at tonight. Guys, we're going to put it up on the screen. This is verse 7. And Paul still, and he says, may the God who gives endurance, well, here we go, Christ accepted you so you, let's read the rest of it, so you should accept each other, which will bring glory to God. Now, that's quite easy for us to understand. Paul is saying, look at what Jesus did for you. Jesus accepted you, so in the rapid nature that Jesus was receptive to you, then you, and he's talking to this church. Again, they got persecution going on without they got the potential of this social tension, you know, now all of a sudden, this church, you know, mixture of two, 100% Gentile, now mixture, and how they're going to be able to work all that out. And then he says, listen, he said, how you accept each other and how you accept other people, keep in mind how Jesus accepted you. And when you accept, and this is good for us to hear, that when you accept other people the way that Jesus has accepted you, what did he say just after that? He said, then that's going to bring glory to God. God is going to be glorified. God is going to be honored. It's like Paul is saying, hey, Jesus let you in. So if Jesus was so quick to let you in, how in the world could you keep other people out? So the title that I'm using for this message tonight, Indifferent. And it's not always easy to let people in who are different than us. And we can be indifferent toward what God wants us to, to, to be and to do because simply it's so easy to welcome those who are most like us, but, but God wants us to go much broader than that. Unfortunately, and I was thinking about this while working on this message, unfortunately some churches, thank God not ours, are often like young children playing. They hide, they run into the house, they lock the door, and, you know, how many of you know when that, you know, when kids are playing around like that and you probably, you know, you're running and then, you know, somebody runs in, they lock the door, they're not, you want to be in. And it's fun to everybody when you're on the inside, but how many of you know it's not very fun if you're on the outside trying to get in? But a lot of churches, unfortunately, are like that. Isn't it true? I hate to say that, but it's true. So out of that emerges a question I want to ask for you and for me for us to think through because... Now we can individualize this a little bit. We can look at the Church of Rome, and we can look at how good that God has been to Victory Church, but then we can think about now our individuality, and, and how are we doing to perpetuate what God wants us to do as a follower of Jesus personally? So, 
Let me just toss out a couple of questions for you to consider, right? Uh, Question number one would be this. How do you feel personally? I'm not talking about us now as a church, although certainly that would be applicable, but how do you personally feel about people that are different from you? How do you feel about that? Now, I realize that because of common interests, we connect with some people more quicker than we do under others. I understand that, don't you? There are some people that they have so many similarities with you that you can find some immediate connection. Somebody comes up to me and they just say, hey, Pastor Jeff, I want you to know I am a die-hard Georgia Bulldog fan. Immediately, I feel God is putting this person into my life. I feel a connection with them. We have something in common. Kidding aside, but there are people that, you know, we just, we have a lot of similarities, and so it's just natural. In fact, it doesn't require a lot of effort to connect with people like that. However, diversity ought to function best. Hear me on this for just a moment. Diversity ought to function best in a community of believers. Don't you agree with that? That a community of believers, a church should always be known for their love for Jesus, number one, and their love for each other. And that's why Paul, you see, this is what's going on. Paul is saying, if you, I know you got all this pressure, and I know it's not easy, and I know it's tough, and I know you've got brothers and sisters that are being persecuted, and I know that you Jews, you can't always get along with the Gentiles, and the Gentiles, you have so many differences with the Jews, but if you can love Jesus first, and you can love each other, can you imagine how this is going to impact the, you know, the, the kingdom of Rome, how this is going to affect the Roman Empire. And how many of you know that would be true for us today? We, we have diversity among us. I mean, you, you think about it. You could go all kind, of different, all kind of different ways with that. I think about so often, like when I'm speaking on a weekend, for those of you that I, I, I don't know yet, I'd love the chance to get to, to know you, but I'm, I don't have the opportunity to be with all of our church family here at the North Campus on Sunday mornings because I'm with our South Campus uh, on Sunday mornings. And, and I think about this often uh, when, uh, when I'm sharing a message, that there is so much diversity. For example, as is true here on a Sunday morning, there are so many people who like have an affinity or a connection with Southeastern University. They teach the Bible. They're highly educated. They're very, very smart. Uh, I mean, I realize that, you know, I'm speaking often to, you know, on Sundays to people who know a lot more about the Bible than I do. And I think about that. And then I think about, isn't it beautiful how there's this great diversity in the body of Christ? Because I can see somebody right there and I'm like, oh man, they, they, are, they are really, I hope I get this message pretty, pretty close because they're really, really brilliant. You know, they understand the Hebrew, Greek, you know, I want to, and then I look down from them, and I realize that this is a person that does not even know God yet, that it's somebody that's a seeker, and and that may be (laughs) being quite generous, because they may not even be a seeker, they may be a skeptic, and isn't it beautiful how that people just like that can all be in the same setting in a church? And I look out sometimes and, you know, here in South Campus, and I, and I look and I see, you know, single-parent families that you know enough about their story to know that every week, every month, is a struggle from week to week to month to month. And they're sitting on the same row of somebody that is well into a six-digit annual income. And I think about the beauty of that and how that God 
allows us to be together and to love Jesus first and love each other. And we don't all, we don't all have to have the same level of knowledge or we don't all have to have the same net worth. And I, I think about it so often. And isn't it beautiful when you think about the diversity within the context of a church, how that Hispanics and African Americans and Asians and Caucasians can come together. Even Georgians like me can come together and we can all love Jesus and love each other. How many of you think that's a wonderful thing? How many of you think that's the way that God designed His church to function? Exactly. So are we willing to accept anybody? That's sort of a second question. Are we willing to accept anybody into our church? Well, of course, we would say, yet again, not all churches see it the same way that our church does. Because in a lot of churches, and I'm sad to tell you this, I wish it were not this way, But in a lot of churches, if you're different, you're not in. If you're different, you're out. And the only way to get in, the only way to break through, is you've got to look like everybody else, and you've got to talk like everybody else, and dress like everybody else, and vote like everybody else, and believe like everybody else. Uh, Carrie and Chris Shook, pastor, pastor of tremendous church, and uh, many of you have read a book that they wrote a number of years ago, and I just have one statement. I want you to look at this. This is a great, great statement. How many of you know this is true, that you can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye on every single thing? You see eye to eye on everything with everybody? Absolutely not. Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hand because I'm not trying to start anything tonight, but you probably, as a married couple, you I've got a sneaky suspicion you don't see eye to eye on every single thing as a husband and wife, but you walk hand in hand. You're not going to see eye to eye on everybody in your family, but, and even you bring it down to where we are as a church. We're not going to see, I'm going to maybe, and I'm not talking about the foundational truth. I'm not talking about the cardinal tenets. I'm just talking about you and I may not see every single thing exactly the same way. But how many of you know that we can still love Jesus together and we can still love each other? And that's the way a church functions. That's the way a church operates. And it's beautiful to behold that in, in our church to just see, hey, you know, we're, we're more caught up in loving Jesus than we are about the ways that we are different. His church in Rome was not a perfect church by any means, but it was an incredible church, and it was an effective church in many ways. They were a church that faced tremendous persecution, and they endured it. Let me mention one other person around this time. Some of you have heard this name. His name was Tertullian. Tertullian was actually born to pagan parents in AD 155, but then he was sent to Rome to study law. His parents sent him to Rome. But while Tertullian was in Rome, he became a follower of Jesus, and then instead of following his parents' wishes for him to follow law, he actually spent the rest of his life proclaiming and defending the teachings of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire. You may have heard this statement, maybe never attributed to to Tertullian, but it was Tertullian who said this, the blood of Christians, he's talking about martyrs, the blood of Christians is the seed of the church. So this church in Rome, what made them so powerful is that they faced tremendous persecution, and yet they endured it. Another thing about this church that is so, you know, appealing to us, it becomes a model, not in everything, but in a lot of things. This church in Rome refused to live only for themselves. 
Among themselves they manifested grace and compassion. And when they had needs, they responded to one another's needs. In fact, one of the things that was notable concerning this church, and I love this, is that in that church in Rome, the stronger ones helped the weaker ones to carry heavy burdens. I'm so glad that people were patient with me when I became a Christian. Man, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know a whole lot, and I was rough around the edges. And I'm, I'm glad. I'm thinking back to my home church where I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm so glad that there were pa- people that were patient with me. How many of you know not all of us are at the same level spiritually? And, and we, you know, because typically on a Wednesday night, it's going to be mature believers. How many of you know that it pleases God, it makes God's smile when you and I are gracious and compassionate with baby Christians, with baby Christians. I, I, I would never want to stand before God at the end of my life and God say, you know what, Jeff, you, you were tough on the baby Christians. You expected them, after walking with me, as long as you've walked with me, for them to be immediately just as, that's, that's not reality. We don't, we don't expect babies to do that. We don't say to a baby, hey, listen now, you're, you're, you're 10 months old. Get, around, get up and run around like your four-year-old brother. We don't do that, but sometimes if, if followers of Jesus aren't careful, there can be this level of expectation among even baby Christians instead of like they did in the church of Rome. who They just said, hey, the stronger one, we're going to help the, the younger ones, the weaker ones. And in spite of their obvious differences, this church, what was so beautiful about it is they loved each other, and they accepted each other. And as a result, this church continued to flourish. And it became, and I think it's one of the most remarkable things about this church, is that they became known and recognized by other believers outside of Rome, not in Rome, but outside of Rome, because their reputation preceded them. And outside of Rome, believers looked at this great church, and they said, that this is a church, quote, that was worthy of God and worthy of honor. That's a great thing to have attached to you, isn't it? To be worthy of God and worthy of honor. I want to take you back for just a moment. It's going to be on the screen. Take you back to the first four verses of this chapter that we've uh, picked these three verses out of tonight. And again, you understand this passage a whole lot better, I hope, than you did when you first came in. And Paul, look at verse 1. He said, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. It's not just about us, he said. I want to pause there for just a moment and mention to you, and I'll go back and read. One of my heroes, and he always will be, some of you may have known this guy, his name's C.T. Bailey. He's passed away a number of years ago, C.T. Bailey. C.T. Bailey was a great, great guy. I love, he's one of my heroes. And I pray, I pray that I'm like C.T. Bailey when I reach C.T.'s age. C.T., as far as I know, was the oldest person at our South Campus at the time. He, again, he's since passed, but I think C.T. was 92 or 93 years old. So he didn't fit the normal demographic, I guess. And so I'd look at CT every week. It was funny, and this has been uh, quite some time ago, uh, and CT was going to our church in those early days, and I'd see CT, and, and it, you know, it was fine, and it was great. I was so thrilled he was there. 
but it just looked a little bit different being in that theater church when CT every week would come and he had his coat and his tie and he looked really, really sharp. And then I noticed because CT had been there for a good while, then he really loosened up and he took off his tie. And I don't know that he ever wore his tie again. And I always wondered this about CT because I'd look out in the theater and I'd see CT there and I'd, I'd say to myself, I know the music that we're doing is not CT's favorite music. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, he's 93. We are, we, we, CT did not give us the set list. We are not doing CT's favorite music. And I know this, but I see him week after week. And I, I think about C.T., and I say, here this guy is. He's in his 90s now, and he comes in, and he climbs these steps in this, in this theater that's quite dark, and he finds a seat, and, and there C.T. is. And, and I tell you all of that because somebody had tipped me off that C.T. was in the hospital. And so this provided me an opportunity to ask C.T. a question that I always wanted to ask him. So I show up at the hospital, and this, this is typical CT. He looked at me because he nor his wife, Grace, had asked me to come, but I found out. So I go, and I walk in, and, and he says, CT just looks at me for a moment. He said, what are you doing here? And I said, CT, somebody let me know you were here. He said, who? I said, a little bird. I've got, you know, informants all over the... And I visited with him for a while, loved him in a little bit, and then before I left, before I prayed with him, I had my hand on the railing there, and I looked over, and I said to C.T., this, this guy now is my hero. I looked over, and I said, C.T., while you're in this bed and you can't go anywhere, I want to ask you a question I've always wanted to ask you. He said, what is it? I said, C.T., why do you come to our church? I know we don't do your favorite music. I know every song we do, you'd pick it. I, I know. And C.T. immediately became my hero. He looked up at me. And he said, it's not about me. He said, but I get so excited when I see all these young people and I see people getting saved and I realize it's not all about me. And I just say, oh, man, don't, hey, don't you want to be like that? And that day I left and I said, when I'm, you know, as I grow older, like the day when I hit my older years, I want to be like C.T., and I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about others. You who are strong, God, to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up for even Christ. And then Paul just lays it out, our example, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And then I'll take you back to these verses we started with, and we'll all read them together and we'll pray. Will you read them with me? This is verses 5 through 7. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You stand with me tonight. God, thank you so much for our church family.
Thank you so much for so many people that are a part of our church that that's what they long for, to be used by you, to live lives, God, before others in such a way, to love you first, Jesus, and above preeminently over all others, but then to loving each other in such a way that people who are not yet a part of Victory Church yet will look and say, man, I don't know what they have, but I want it. I want to be more like that. I want to love like that. I want to care like that. I want to be compassionate like that. I want to be connected like that. And God, that they would just see that so much in each of us that it would create a longing. As we talked about this past Sunday, a thirst that they would say, now that is something that I need. God, help us to become more and more like these that we've read about tonight. Thank you for every person here. You know, if you're in this place tonight and you just say, you know, I, I want to take another step toward becoming everything that God wants me to be. I want to be, I want to grow in my walk in relationship with God. I'm not content. Never be content with where you're at. There's always room for all of us to grow. And maybe that's something you just work out with God right where you're at. Just saying, you know, God, I just, before I leave this place tonight, I want to covenant with you. I'm not satisfied. I'm not content to just stay where I'm at. I want to love you more, Jesus. I want to love people more. God, grow me. And you just settle that with God before you leave here. And then around this altar, we have altar workers. If you'd say, you know what? I've, I've got a need in my life. Maybe you're sick in your body. Maybe you are awaiting a surgery. Maybe you've had a doctor's appointment that's a little bit alarming to you. Maybe you're going through a relational struggle and you're just like, oh man. Maybe you're going through a challenge in the workplace and it's just like, God, I just need your strength to get up and go about this another day. Whatever it is, a financial need, I want to encourage you in the last few moments, worship team's going to lead us in a song and you just come and you get somebody to pray with you or if you're sick in body, the Bible says, is any monk you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, anoint with oil, pray the prayer of faith, believe the Lord will heal the sick and raise him up. If you want somebody to pray for you, don't leave this place if you've got a need. How many of you know that God is able? And we love him more and we love each other and we minister to each other. And stronger ones help the weaker ones and those who are not sick can pray for those who are sick and those who are not discouraged can pray for those who are discouraged. And that's just the way God wants us to act. So as they sing, you go ahead and you come, and then we'll pray in just a moment.